0: Guess what, guys? We're not doctors. No, we are not. So if you're going to be making any major medical decisions, please consult your doctor. That includes diets, surgeries, and exercise. We love you guys. And we want
1: you to continue to be in our OSLP family forever. So
0: be careful and consult your doctor. Yeah. Yeah. We just
1: got our blood work done. Yeah, we did. And our doctors asked us, what are we doing to have such great blood work?
0: Yeah. And you know what we told them? Procare. Procare! Oh my goodness. Yeah. We told them, like, yeah, we take Procare every day because they have a multivitamin that you can just take one a day. Yes, exactly. They have a capsule and a chewable form.
1: And not only do they have vitamins, But they also have calcium Calcium chews. chews. Oh, my God. They're so good. They're so delicious. It's like our own little sweet treat for the end of the night. It really is because they have the dark chocolate and they have the cinnamon roll. Yes. And I love the salted caramel and the dinner mint. All righty. We'll go to ProCareNow.com and use code OSLP at checkout to save some money. You guys ask us all the time, what is our favorite
0: protein powder? Yeah, literally, we see this question Every day. <laughs> and the answer is always devotion. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I even use it this morning to make my own sweet treat for nighttime because it's just a, a brownie batter pudding. And you literally just use one scoop and then milk or water. And then I use it every morning
1: in my profi. It's so delicious. Oh, my God. I want one right now thinking of Seriously, it.
0: Seriously, it's 20 grams of protein. So go get yours now at devotionnutrition.com and use code OSLP to save some money. Welcome,
1: welcome back, back OSLP family. Yeah. yeah. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> you are listening to our Sleep Life podcast, and this is Kelly. This is my home. And we want you all to pause this right now <laughs> and go to berrydiaries.com <laughs> and buy tickets if you are in the Texas area, because we are going to be in Austin the 25th through the 27th. The that's show is right. actually on the 26th. Yeah. Uh Doors open at six, seven, seven, seven.
0: And seven. they're only 35
1: bucks. And they are only $35. Yeah, bring a friend, have a date night. Yeah. Come and if, no matter if you are pre-op, post-op, just thinking about surgery, yes. have a friend that's gone through surgery and you kind of want to,
0: Feel it out, yeah. like whatever it is. Cause this is like a lifestyle podcast. Yeah. You know, like you're gonna learn all of the things and all the aspects. Mm-hmm. So, supporters out there, come hang out with us. Yes. And then the other one we're gonna be at is in San Diego. <sighs> San Diego. Yes. The freaking so April excited. 29th. I'm, and I'm so, so excited. excited. I yeah.
1: just want the sun. That's, I know. That's what I I'm, I'm. It's like the sun. And meeting you guys, they're like (laughs) neck and neck. I know, it's like dumping buckets of rain today. Oh my gosh. So the sun, I want to see. I actually took your son, (laughs) So I picked up Mel's son today from from her brother's house, drove him here, and there's a huge puddle in the parking lot behind your house. Yeah. And I drove really (laughs) fast through it (laughs)
0: because
1: it was just fun. And I've never seen a giant puddle like that behind your house. So I was like, well. Oh we're gonna drive a really oh, fast. still in space. Oh well I parked first and then he and then I was like, Oh, I should have driven driven really fast. And he was like, Oh. And I was like, You still want to do it? <laughs> like, I'll I'll back, up. And back then, up. So yeah, I backed up and drove really fast and
0: then turned around and came back and did it again. So very, very I nice. covered my car in water. Hey. Marshmallow was, got covered in water. At least in San Diego, there won't be any rain. Yes. Or that to do because yes. I don't really like going through puddles. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. It's so, fun. So. Um, so, yes, go to berrydiaries.com yes. for the April 29th show in San Diego. $35. Mm-hmm. So come hang out with your girls. Yes. And then if you want more
1: exclusive content, episodes early, mm-hmm. uh, YouTube videos early, because our patrons get them 10 days early, Yeah, go over to patreon.com forward slash OSLP. And pick your tier. Um, we have tiers all the way from a dollar to fifty dollars, mm-hmm. depending on whatever you want out of that tier. And there's also exclusive merch. Yeah, my favorite part is the benchies. And the benchies. That's right. We have a group. How support can we group. forget about the Benji. Yeah, there's
0: like 80 of us in there, almost 90. Yeah. I was and gonna say we're getting close to 90. I know we have, a, we have a Facebook group and we hang out all day long and we mm-hmm. talk to each other tips tricks. Mm-hmm. We have a couple people that just got surgery today. Yes. One of the girls got it today. Sabina mm-hmm. Sabina Sabina. Yep. And yeah, like she was telling us how it all went. So mm-hmm. like we can be right by your side, while you guys go through this. So go Correct. join. Correct. And yeah. we have our the world's greatest
1: admin Tanya. So yeah. shout out to Tanya. She is our typer when (laughs) we are not around. She is answering every question as much as she can. And she is a great role model for everybody because she has rocked the sturdy. So she has go over, sign up, become a patron, become part of the winner's bench and uh where else do they need to go mel they just need to go to youtube this is
0: a free way to to support your girls you just literally need to hit subscribe and the bell that we get notified when these drop because what we're about to show you here in like a couple seconds is a very Mm -hmm. awesome guest. and if you're on youtube you get to see who this is yes so definitely go over there and hit subscribe ring the bell every Mm -hmm. tuesday a new episode drops yes so our
1: guest today yeah is dr eric (laughs) from the thousand pound sisters yeah like can you freaking believe it it's exciting ah. <laughs> so welcome on dr eric thanks for having me
2: yeah Good to see you guys yeah. yeah
1: we're so excited to have you on so excited to talk about all the
0: things yeah well and i noticed what i love about like your um instagram was i was noticing the robotics part Yes, and I was like, "Oh my God, you can do this with robotics? <laughs> no freaking way!" Because me and Kelly got to see one that was laparoscopic. So, yeah. so robotics. we want to know
1: all the things about the robotics. Yeah, um, little known secret: Melanie's actually scared of robots. I,
0: I am. I'm am scared of robots. <laughs>
1: yes. So
2: not clowns for you. It's robots. Huh? Yeah. Yes. It's yes. One hundred percent. I
0: don't want things starting to talk to me and move and take over things.
2: (laughs) We'll, we'll we'll probably put you at ease.
0: These these
2: aren't those, those kind of robots.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well then can you start us off with like, how did you even get into bariatrics?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I was obviously when I started surgical residency, I didn't know specifically that I wanted to do bariatrics. Um, but where I trained, we were um, very involved with bariatrics for a, was the first center of excellence in the state of Ohio where I trained. So we had a high volume of bariatrics. Wow. I'm dating myself a little bit, but, you know, this is back when open bariatric surgery was still the most common way that bariatric surgery was done. Wow. Laparoscopy had started to penetrate the market. Okay. We were. I was seeing it from both, you know, both ways, and we we definitely weren't able to offer laparoscopy to everybody. You know, Mm -hmm. lower BMIs, less complex patients. Okay. And I really, I'll be honest with you. At the at first, it was the challenge of the surgery. You know, you're 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 doing a very complex surgery, specifically laparoscopically, on patients that many other surgeons see are more challenging. Difficult surgeries to do. You know, let's be honest, us surgeons, we're all a little type A ego driven. You know, if somebody <laughs> says it's not easy to do, then we're like, oh, I'm going to show you. Yeah. Oh, I want to <laughs> do it really well. Yeah. So the challenge was there right off the bat. Robotics really wasn't, you know, was I wasn't exposed to that during my residency. And Um, it was kind of a unique situation where when I started seeing laparoscopic bariatric surgery, I thought, man, if I can learn to do that, I can learn to do anything.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And,
2: um, as, as minimally invasive surgery started penetrating the bariatric market, as I said, they brought in a new fellow, um, from training to kind of teach the group there that had been doing it open for years, how to do it laparoscopically and offer that to patients as they learned kind of as they go, you know, um, and making sure they did it the right way. And I was in a situation during my residency where I got the opportunity to be chief resident for two years. Um, oh. I was, uh, we were in a program where there was two, three, two, it rotated, you know, so the year ahead of me was two residents, my year was three. And one of the residents the year ahead of me had left to go do a fellowship. Oh, so. He needed someone to do it with him for uh, during his chief year, his fifth year. And I got asked to be chief with him as a fourth year. So I knew my case volume would be very high. And so this new guy was out of training uh, that joined our trainers. I just went to him and I said, look, you're going to get a medical student driving the camera for your first 50 mm. cases here, fresh out of fellowship. So I'll bypass doing these surgeries that I know I'm going to have a ton of exposure doing. And I'll come drive the camera for you as a fourth year resident, but you got to teach me how to do these. Oh. And, and
0: okay.
2: he said, You do that? And I'm like, Absolutely. He said, Deal. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, I kind of swallowed my pride and stood there like a med student holding the camera <laughs> as he started. And then he, he's like, Okay, you know, I kind of paid my dues and he started showing me how to do them. So um, I came out of training with a ton of, of exposure really more so than I would have gotten in a fellowship wow. at that time. Um, but what was really cool is we, we had, you know, we have our residency clinic where we, you know, we took care of, of patients who at that time didn't have insurance and things like that. But wow. I got our attendings to start a bariatric surgery clinic for our residency program.
0: Nice. Like, you know, what
2: about patients who need bariatric surgery? Not just somebody who needs their gallbladder out or their mm-hmm. hernia fixed. Yeah. And so not only did we do that, but we also were able to offer laparoscopy for, at that time, the people who were are good candidates for it.
1: Okay. Wow.
2: And, you know, it was, it was a great opportunity for the residents. It was a great opportunity for us to get to maybe impact patients that maybe would have never gotten a chance yeah. from a financial standpoint or mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. to have bariatric surgery. And that's when I really got, you know, as a resident, you don't spend as much time in the clinic. You're just operating and operating okay. and taking care of everything that comes in the hospital. Okay. Um, but I got a chance to see these patients and the impact that it had on their life. Mm-hmm. And, and then I was just hooked. You yeah. know, I mean, I tell people all the time, I, I hate to say it, but I feel selfish mm-hmm. as to why I do this, because I love how it makes me feel.
3: Mm-hmm. But it's
2: because of getting to see what happens to people, you know, and how yeah. it changes their lives. And obviously... Helping them from a health standpoint is great, but to see how it impacts their family, their job, their well-being, their Mm -hmm. mental health, everything across the board. Mm -hmm. So once I I started doing that, then I knew that's what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah. The rest is history. Oh my Goodness. That's so cool because I kind of feel like that sometimes, like the selfish part of it, because we love hearing the stories of like us impacting somebody enough to get surgery yeah. or feel confident enough to, you know, tackle this journey or the fact that they felt prepared for the journey. Yeah. And so it, I can relate to you on that. And not on the surgery yeah. aspect of it <laughs> because that is not my forte, but you let me talk. I'm good. Um, and so it, but it being a part of this community in such a impactful way is just so like, it gives me chills sometimes when I think about it, of how much somebody can do simply by putting the patients first. first. Yeah. Because that's what we need. Right. Instead yeah. of, you know, focused on the money or, you know, the uh, like the exposure or anything like that. Like, you're right. you're really just putting them first and saying, I know how you feel. I know that you're probably sick and tired of being fat and unhealthy. Yeah. We're going to help you. And that right. means the world to us. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Cause like, once you hear a doctor, fight, like agree with you mm-hmm. about something that you've kind of been fighting for, you're like mm-hmm. well, some people their whole life. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, thank you for finally like believing that like we can do this and this mm-hmm. can be fixed because mm-hmm. sometimes we feel trapped in our bodies. and I, I know I've definitely did. So, mm-hmm. Like, finally having Dr. Patterson be like, yeah, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Here's your date. Right. I'm like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I remember talking with
1: Dr. Thompson for the first time and really feeling comfortable because she's, she's kind of like you. She's very down to earth, but she's very passionate about her patients. And when I talked to her for the first time and I felt like she saw me and she understood where I was coming from, I legit cried no. because it was so like... Finally, I can see a light at the end of the tunnel. Because mm-hmm. when you're bedridden for many years, you just feel stuck, and you're on pain right. meds, and you don't quite—you're not there at all. Yeah. And so I can, yeah. I can relate. Like I haven't been overweight my whole life. I wasn't overweight my whole life, but just those few years. Oh man, That's very
0: traumatic. It was traumatic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
2: And I think, you know, the, the, the one thing that, you know, I, I see this and it's and I know when I say this, you all will, will probably agree pretty quickly, but not only is for a patient to meet somebody who's on their side mm-hmm. and who's saying, we're going to do this, but unfortunately, some of these patients have been hearing the opposite from physicians right. in the past.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Not only is it they're not getting support, they're almost being fought. Yeah, Mm -hmm. about it they're not being given support they're not being given any good information of how they can conquer their their disease Mm -hmm. and they're they're basically being told that it's almost Mm self-inflicted so to have that 360 so you almost feel like that's your enemy and you've lost trust in somebody that you Mm -hmm. can go to to feeling like somebody's there on your side now everybody's not like that obviously i'm a physician and i'm very defensive of our profession Mm -hmm. we there's there's the good and the bad and everything there in, has in to this be. world, yeah. but I think it's you know um, it's a subject that maybe it's there's some primary care docs that it's not that they're negative they just don't know how to pr- approach it mm-hmm. yeah they're afraid to bring it up you know there's mm-hmm. so many things involved so well, I, I, you know I see that side of it when yes. people's eyes light up like finally and they take that deep breath mm-hmm. and that's Cause, it's m- very
0: because my primary care what she wanted me to do. i I talked to her first about it Mm because my brother did it and i have titanium from knee down from like a spiral (laughs) fracture that i got so she was like maybe we should remove the metal and maybe you should try to lose 20 pounds first and then we can maybe talk about bariatrics and i was like and what's interesting about that do a surgery on my leg right Right, so I, That's interesting. See, right? Uh-huh. so I was just like, no, like, I don't want to go through two surgeries. Yeah. Because oh my, my
1: rheumatologist would, uh, was actually the first one that told me about bariatric surgery. Like, yeah. I knew Mel had it, but I didn't know anything else right. other than that. And she mm-hmm. actually brought it up on three separate occasions. And on the f- second occasion that she brought it up, I actually went to my primary care and was like, because my rheumatologist doesn't do referrals for that. Obviously she's my, my rheumatologist, but um, she, so I went to my primary care and I was like, Hey, so my rheumatologist is saying like, this would be really good for me. Can we go, can I get a referral to a bariatric surgeon? And she was like, well, I don't think you're there yet, which (laughs) I was 270 pounds. Like I, with, with several autoimmune diseases, diseases, Probably should have been the first place. So she sent me over to a weight loss clinic where they like help you with your eating and stuff. And I was like, that's That's not not what I need right now. Like I need something that's going to be like permanent Permanent. within within my life. I've done all those diets. And but I was like, you know what? That's what she's sending me to. So I will do that. And I called. The lady was so rude to me on the phone. So like dismissive of me that I was like. Nope. Something in this universe is telling me this is not where I need to be. And I didn't end up going and ended up getting a referral from my rheumatologist to the bariatrics center because I was like, right. listen, my primary is not listening. I need something else. And I was an advocate for myself at that point because I could have just, you know, not gone to either of them. Yeah. And just continued to right. gain weight and be miserable. But. It, it sticks out in my brain. Cause I'm just like, really? Like you couldn't have just said, yeah, let's, let's send it over there. Let's see right. what happens yeah. because there's, there's nothing wrong with seeing your options. No, no. You know, it's, it's
2: one of the first things when patients come in, um, they kind of have the way we do it at our clinic is we have intake day and intake day is like patient's first day. Yeah. Okay. You know, we'll have a room full of patients and they spend most of that whole day there where they have classes with from the get go, our oh, dietitian, yeah. our bariatric nurse. Um, they meet with the MPs and the, and the PAs. They meet with wow. the insurance coordinator. They learn all about, okay, like, here's what your insurance requires. If we're going to, Here's your homework, and here's the things we need to get done and all that stuff and and I meet these people in a group and talk to them about very you know general concepts, really just kind of an introduction and but one of the first things that I make sure that I tell them is, I don't want you sitting here today and feeling like you failed. like, no. oh my gosh, it's come to this. like I'm here. I had to see a surgeon, right? And so I, I, but the only way you can fix that is to throw some facts at them. Mm -hmm.
3: Um,
2: Some aren't like that. Some are really excited, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of people you can just see it in their face. They've Mm -hmm. heard it from friends or family members, maybe their Mm -hmm. primary doctor, like you said, Mm -hmm. and I make sure they know the, the most important stat out there that is, it blows my mind that it doesn't get talked about enough, especially in the primary care world. And that's, you know, if you're morbidly obese and you do diet and exercise alone, your chances of losing enough weight to get out of that obese category and keeping it off for greater than a year is 1%. If you're a male, it's 0.5%. Yeah. And I'm pretty, look, I'm a, I'm from Eastern Kentucky. I'm kind of black and blue meat and potato, yeah. you know, that is what it is. Yeah. And my thing is if I'm going to go play the lottery, let me know my odds. Mm, and yeah. if you tell me my odds and I choose to invest then that's on me, but if you mm-hmm. don't let me know what my odds are and you mislead me, then that's on you. Yeah, mm-hmm. And I tell them, look, that's your odds. Mm-hmm. Now, how many times did those doctors that told you, eat right and exercise, eat right and exercise, did they follow that up? And oh, by the way, here's your chances of that working long-term. Never. That's- that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to do those things. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you today, you have to do those things mm-hmm. yeah. with my surgery. But mm-hmm. if you do those things with my surgery, you go from 1% at one year to greater than 50% at five years. That's oh, amazing. Oh, I just got chills. If you, if you blind those two things and say, which one would you pick? Your family that questioned you coming mm-hmm. here would say, pick the 50% Yeah, mm-hmm. at five years. And okay, well, and behind door number two, it is bariatric surgery. Wow. And, you know, and I always follow that up and say, you're going to have a family member say 50%, that means 50% fail. No, I didn't say that. I'm saying 50% are out of the obese category. You yeah. still may have other people who were 500 pounds or down to 285 300, Mm. but they're still not out of that category. I can't count them, but how much better off are they
0: they 100% because I'm still in the obese category. I looked it up when one of our benchies did the BMI and I was like, for, for my height, I'll never be out of obese category.
3: Right.
1: Don't, know? Know. don't say never.
0: Don't say never. It's like we all 145, BMI's Kel.
1: It's like, stupid. oh yeah, you looked, you looked sick at 170. I know. So, yeah, That's no, no. Saying. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Well, know, BMI's
2: aren't perfect. You yeah. yeah. ask that all the time. And yeah. so we have to take that into consideration. Yeah. You know, you could have a, a bodybuilder walk in your office mm-hmm. and be, an abnormal BMI and anybody with any ethics or morals would say, no, 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 <laughs> you're yeah, in the wrong I'm place. Like, We're going to get you to a psychologist. not surgeon. <laughs> But, you know, I I think it's so important to tell people that. And I Mm -hmm. also think that somehow we've gone wrong with making that message known to primary care. Because guess what? That's who you as patients trust. You Mm -hmm. see them for your colds. You see them for your headaches. You see them for Mm -hmm. if you, you know, have an emergency, all those things. I'm the new guy.
0: Yeah. You know,
2: and that's who your rapport is with. And Mm -hmm. we've got to find a way to get that message across better. Yeah. Correct. These misconceptions, whatever it may be. So Mm -hmm. they're guiding people to make them healthier, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, that's that's I I think there's so much work we can do on the bariatric surgery side, whether it be ASNBS or anything we treat barely over 1% of the population in <laughs> the United States who qualify for surgery. Think
1: I know. about that. It makes me so mad. And, I know. If we can just you know, double and that so and triple that. Our like, awareness
2: has to change dramatically. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: I mean, yes. there's so many people out there that could use this surgery. What's really funny is that, so my boyfriend actually had bypass a month before I did. This was mm-hmm. like, I didn't even know we were going through the surgery at the same <laughs> point until later. <laughs> um, so he rarely talks about his surgery. Like he's just, he's just not like, he's a guy. He just doesn't really want to share that. And I'll kind of throw him under the bus. Sometimes I'll be like, yeah, we both had surgery. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But he now comes home and will tell me about like, he was talking to somebody and was telling them that he had weight loss surgery and blah, blah, blah. And so him dating me, seeing me talk about it all the time, has now. Yep. He's getting to the point where he's like more comfortable. Yeah, and well, you made
0: s- me more comfortable talking about True. it. True, that's a good like, point. When because 100% I'm like, fun. I don't
1: care. Like, if you don't like Cause me, because I had bariatric surgery. Well. Because she, she does, she does <laughs> right. tell
0: people anywhere. I will. She I have that. told gas attendants. <laughs> so I'm like Kelly. These people don't even know us from Adam. Like, yeah, you I don't give really them my care. Surgery yeah. business. I don't no, know. Yeah, this no. Feels I weird.
1: I was at a gas station getting my tank filled, and the guy's like, "So what are you doing today?" And I was like, "Oh, I record. I'm recording for my podcast." And blah, blah blah. And you know, I'm like, I'm like, he's like, "Oh, what's it about?" Well, it's about weight loss surgery. He's like, "Oh, so you got the band thing?" It's always the band thing. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. so, so now we're going to have a lesson. Sit down. We're going to tell you. So I'm like telling him the difference between each of the surgeries. And like, I went through a whole course with him. He had no idea what he was getting himself into, no, but yeah, I've done, done it in, yeah. in grocery stores. I've done we it were in- at a convenience store. When we you did Convenience it with me. stores. No. Like, I don't care because I want everybody right. to know. And I tell them like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And it's not the easy way out. Like, usually the first thing out of my mouth is, this is not the easy way out. (laughs) Yes, stop it right now. Be prepared for that. Because a lot of people are like, oh, so you just had surgery and lost all the weight. And it's like, oh, if only it was that easy. I know. Please, easy button. I would totally say it was easy if it was like, push the button and
0: all the weight fell off. But that is not how it works at all. It's real work. That's the deal. Yeah. It's actual work. But you have to take care of yourself literally all day long. Yeah, exactly. Well, Well,
2: it's even harder because not only do you have to do the two things that people are saying isn't the easy way out, which is the old fashioned way you Mm -hmm. have to do that. Plus, you have to go through all the preparation, surgery, learn how to eat differently Mm -hmm. and all that stuff on top of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you have to worry about regain, which is a huge, you know, speaking of failure, because you were saying how people, you know, when they get there, sometimes they have that failure. That's the first thing that people think when they think regain is I failed immediately and it's like no you didn't no No, and i mean i'm battling regain right now but that doesn't make me a failure no look at where i came from to where i'm at now yeah exactly you're allowed to kind of have some hiccups and then you pull yourself together and you realize why you did it and you move forward well and i feel like
0: bariatric surgery is really some like the science and the health And the surgeons behind it, like that's Mm -hmm. what we need to know when we're kids. This Mm -hmm. is information we should have been taught when we were in like adulthood, like young young adolescents. Like we should have learned how to prep our fucking food (laughs) and not know, like you know, (laughs) because our parents. A lot of it does come from from our parents. My mom listens to this, and so does your mom. Love you, and this is not a diss on our moms, but like. You know, like they're the ones feeding us. And we only mm-hmm. know what is in front of us. Like mm-hmm. they literally are our role models until we meet other people. So like, absolutely. We have, mm-hmm. it has to be done in the kitchen, in your own house. Like mm-hmm. it sucks, by the way, to do this afterwards. Like this is way it's harder work to learn in your thirties and forties how mm-hmm. to eat because you've already trained your body into this whole dynamic of mm-hmm. how to eat. And now you have to go like, Nope, we don't do that anymore. Well, like, that's really hard like, for your brain to like yeah. switch gears. Yeah. So that's I mean, why it's not the easy way out. For me,
1: I ate healthy my whole time growing up. Like my mom made very healthy meals. She was very conscious of it. And it was when I got out of the house and I could then afford to eat whatever mm-hmm. I wanted. Then I went right. to fast food because I had never been able to have fast food. Right. Because, you know, single mom, four girls, you're not going to fast food every night. You're just not. No. Right. And so I made the choice to start eating like that without the knowledge of, oh, yeah, this is going to make me fat. Yeah. Like if I eat like this and then drink, you know, a bunch of beer
0: at night every single night, that's (laughs) not a good combo. No. Like they just the knowledge just needs to be more. In our present, yeah. I
2: don't think we've seen that anymore. I did this, I was on another podcast with a group out of Austin and I don't think we've seen this anymore than we have with what we've just dealt with for the past two years with COVID. Yeah, You know, the one factor that is the most predictive Mm -hmm. of if you're going to have a poor outcome with COVID, whether it be hospitalization, intubation or death, is obesity. It is clear as a bell. You'll not get anybody. You can get everybody that can argue about everything about COVID, but the one thing that they'll see is in common is that. And, you know, so yes, we have to find a way to deal with what we've been dealing with and how we get through that, Mm -hmm. you know, and whether it be prevention, vaccination, all the things that are involved. And you could talk about that for months, but Mm when are we going to get to the underlying problem? Mm-hmm. When are we going to say there will be another code? There will be another flu type of some sort. There will be another illness. Right. Mm-hmm. And in medicine, we've always seen that obesity is a predictive. I'm, you come to me for, you want me to fix your hernia. I'm going to tell you that one of the number one factors that will cause your hernia to reoccur and you'll have a mesh complication is being obese. We've mm-hmm. known this is associated with so many other things for years, mm-hmm. but when are we going to talk about how do we put people in a position when they do get sick, they won't get as sick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when do we invest dollars and resources? And as you said, education Nation. to mm-hmm. say, okay, we let's get ourselves out of the acute bind, but what are we going to do for the next 10 to 15 to 20 years when the next one comes around mm-hmm. that we got this new problem, but we're not, people aren't dying from it. Like they were, right. before. And people and, and, aren't hospitalized where they were before mm-hmm. and we're not overwhelming our resources. Yeah. We're, and that that it's it's it gets very frustrating it because does. it is basic education. Walk into a cafeteria, to school, nothing's changed. No, you know,
0: no, um, yeah,
2: wherever that may be. So I I'm I'm one hundred percent with. You.
0: Yeah, because it's like if you do the prevention, all the work in the front end, you're going to pay off in the back end. And so these people are you're not only just saving lives, you're saving dollars. Mm. And I don't understand what is going on with our economy to where they just don't see that. It's very black and white. Well, they right. just look I, at it. I just
1: don't think they care.
0: It's, you know, they don't care. They just don't. They're, they're just having blinders on. There's acting like it doesn't well, exist. I mean, especially, you know, you think of the school system
1: and, you know, my boyfriend's daughters. I'll be like, oh, what would you have for lunch? Uh, hamburger and fries
0: pizza what yeah why like
1: there's so many other options that are out there for good food Mm -hmm. that's and all of them agree it's crap food like they don't even like eating it so why are they serving it I just yeah. and if you start in high school, because that's when you start really making your own decisions and mm-hmm. you're really starting to learn, you know, I say elementary because well,
0: they make them even have those milks and they all pour <sighs> them out and never drink them. I know. I know. Um, it's so <laughs> weird. But it's I so weird it, thing. You have to have that milk. No one likes it. They all dump it. They don't drink it. Right. Yeah. But why I are mean, we wasting milk? But high school, you're
1: really starting to like develop those adult thinking patterns you know they're starting to get jobs and drive and you know especially with bianca she's 16 now so she has a job she drives she's starting to realize the whole like like we went to the beach yesterday without her because she was working Mm -hmm. and she was so mad Mm -hmm. and she was like you guys went to the beach without me and i was like well you were working Mm -hmm. and unfortunately when you have a job you you miss things because that's I mean and she's like but I have to work I have to pay for gas and I'm all ding 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 <laughs> right go. that's what happens because right. she's like, well I can't drive my car if I don't have gas and I'm like you're that's, right that's exactly it so it's like we almost need to teach like that like if you have this, this is the direct result
0: yeah. of it. Right. Like if you eat this these ways, this is, and telling the reason why, mm-hmm. like why is water important for your mm-hmm. body? Why is protein helpful? Like, exactly. Um, yeah. I,
2: I'm a big advocate of when, when I do all the education with my patients is mm-hmm. I always say, I don't tell my kids because I said, so I'm not going to tell you that either. Oh. Yeah. Um, you I know, like I'm that. not going to ask you to do a pre-op diet because I said, so I'm going to explain to you why you do a pre-op diet, mm-hmm. what happens to your liver and how that works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you why I'm asking you to do something and give you the science behind it because then I'm not giving you a list of things to memorize. I'm giving you things to understand and yeah. it just seems natural why mm-hmm. with this surgery that you chose, if you eat these things, it may sabotage it or you may mm-hmm. feel this way after you eat that or what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important to teach people why. That it shows. I think it shows respect for mm-hmm. them when you want to give them the knowledge of why and not just give them do this. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Um, And I think that happens a lot in medicine. We're probably guilty of that as physicians sometimes, but I, I really think it's important to teach people why. And, you know, we, we can say, you know, don't smoke. It's bad for you. Right. You know, you have to go to the next level and predict to them what may happen to Mm -hmm. them. And so when we talk about obesity, we have to talk about here's your risk of malignancy if you stay obese. Here's your chance as a female of getting breast cancer compared Mm -hmm. to the other person. You know, Uh if you have, if you're obese, Mm -hmm. if you're obese and you're a diabetic, you have like over a 300% increase in developing cancer if you wow. weren't obese and diabetic. You know, you have to tell these things It yeah. really just, it can't be just, it's bad for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to give people, I think, the why. And, yeah. and I, I, I really appreciate that you brought that up because I think that's what people w- want. And yeah. I think it makes them feel acknowledged and respected when you do that. Definitely. It, it
0: makes them feel more comfortable about the about the, the decision they're about to make. Correct. I, I would, I would more, agree. Um, I know I did. When she was talking about the liver shrinking diet, when she explained why... She has to do that for the type of surgery she does like she does. I'm like, mm-hmm. that makes sense. OK, I will be helpful. Right. Yes. I will make sure, we do. That. you know, like right. understanding yeah. is such a huge deal mm-hmm. Um, and kind of want to go back to like what are some of the common things for being obese that you do see in like your later years? Like what are like the top five or six things you can think of?
2: You mean as far as other comorbidities that come yeah. along with yeah. it, or yeah. the downside of it? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, you know, in general, immobility is influenced by that. But obviously, the, the big ones linked to obesity is um, heart disease, diabetes, sleep apnea. You know, those are some of the big ones. Mm-hmm. A lot of the metabolic syndromes that we're learning more about now that really is that triad of affecting insulin sensitivity, the coronary artery disease, you know diabetes sounds like a terrible thing, but it's not just the diabetes. The uncontrolled diabetes leads to the renal failure, the peripheral neuropathies, the retinopathies, all the other things that come with it. That, you know, it's one thing to be taking insulin. It's another thing. And oh my gosh, I need a kidney transplant. I'm on dialysis because my kidneys have failed because my diabetes is so uncontrolled. And how do
0: these people feel with these like diseases? Like they're not feeling energized, right? Like well, these, no, no. Right, and so yeah. it, it all
2: piles on right. and, and it, they lose the ability to do any form of activity. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens too is a lot of those diseases, a lot of, especially diabetics, um, you know, we preach to, I preach to my patients, body composition a lot. You know, I make them, we have a, we have a body composition I don't even like to call it a scale, you know, yeah. a body composition analyzer, if you want there to be specific. God. I like that. where they look at their weight, but their weight is really just a small piece. Mm-hmm. It is their body fat mass and their muscle mass. And, okay. you know, somebody I can make anybody lose weight, but am I making them healthier? If They're tanking their muscle mass. They don't change their body composition. It's harder and harder to keep the weight off. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing now that retention of muscle mass is one of the best predictors of keeping diabetes away. You know, years out after you've lost the weight, so okay. you know, making them understand that, um, and when these people get so um, immobile and mm-hmm. they're short of breath, and it just piles on, mm-hmm. and their body composition switches in a way that it gets it gets more negative and negative when it comes to you know body fat mass to muscle mass, mm-hmm. and then they might be eating less than they were the year before, but they're actually gaining more weight because that body composition influences their calorie number. Right. I, always, I tell patients, you all have a number right now, today, it's your current body composition. You have a number. And that number is if you go above it, you gain weight. And if you go below it, you lose weight. It really is that simple. It's wow. not simple to do, mm-hmm. but it's raw science. And what we have to find a way is, is, Not only how do we get below that number in a healthy way to help you lose weight, but how do we influence your body composition where 70 pounds lighter, you're actually allowed to eat as much, Mm. if not more calories than you could when you were 70 pounds higher because we flipped your body
0: composition. That makes sense. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. This is why I like science guys. (laughs) Well, Okay, <laughs> well, because of the numbers, like once you figure out like how to like how it works then you can start doing the right. stuff you need to do for your own body, because like I would. So, you know,
2: no, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: No, no, you're good. I, I, I lost it right after. <laughs> <So you're good. laughs> no, <they're fine. laughs> well, you know, I,
2: I think I get so frustrated when I hear uh, you'll hear somebody, especially a patient who's a higher weight, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a great conversation, too, because I think we focus on that so much that we ignore like you said some your doctor told you you weren't there yet and yeah. like we can be helping so many people who are less than 300 pounds, but mm-hmm. they qualify for surgery mm-hmm. and still have medical problems mm-hmm. but you know that's a whole nother talk show in itself but <laughs> yes it is you know, to be able to when you see these people who are severely overweight and people say oh my gosh they must eat 10,000 12,000 calories a day right no no i have patients i can i can think of a specific male patient that we for certain reasons, you all would know who he is (laughs) and he doesn't care me sharing this story. But when I first saw him, he was four over 435 pounds. Mm -hmm. His calorie number was within 150 calories of my calorie number.
0: Wow. So
2: he could eat the same number of calories as me within 150 and stay where he was. And I'd stay where I am.
0: That's now, crazy. There
2: may be days and he would admit he ate way more than mm-hmm. he should. Right. But my point is, is that is, it's not this, it's, you know, mm-hmm. somebody's bringing in food and they're just eating nonstop. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as their body composition worsens, that number drops even lower. So you're exceeding it more and more when mm-hmm. you feel like, gosh, I feel like I'm trying. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm not eating as much. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause isn't
0: it like, so um, you're resting like, um, calorie burning, like, like everybody has a number of like what you would just burn if you didn't move right. all day. Right. So if right. they're, if they're hitting what they are in calories for eating and they can't move, then that's exactly. why they would gain weight because now they can't move right. anymore.
1: Mm, that's so the number point. changes. Yeah. That's
0: a good point. Yeah. That's crazy.
1: Huh? Mm-hmm. So now is that resting calorie w- rate? Is that the same for everybody? Or does that change versus like person to
0: person? Oh, it has to be person to person. So
2: there's an equation that you can you can look up. Okay. Um, and you can you it's a bunch of different numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll see it also categorizes a BMR. Oh, okay. Um, or, and so you can look that up. You can get online now and put it, your st- your information in the calculator, and, it, and it's pretty daggone close. And oh, so okay. you know how do you, how do you create a, a deficit by burning it off or taking less in? Now we all know all calories aren't created equal, right? Mm-hmm. You know you can't. Okay, I'm only going to eat fifteen hundred calories, but they're all simple sugars and processed mm-hmm. foods. Yeah, yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah, well. no. <laughs> But yeah, and I, th- I think it's good information to give people to start with, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we're not making them overanalyze that number. But it, it, if anything, it makes them feel like, you know, I'll sit with them on the visit before their surgery and say, you know, to a female who's five foot six and she's 275 pounds, I'm like, your calorie number is only 1350. Mm. See why it's been so hard yeah. for you to lose weight? Yeah. So we're going to make you aware of this, mm. but we're going to actually, if you do, we do this the right way. You know, 50 pounds lighter, you might be close to 1,500. Or even if you're still at 1,350 and you're way lighter, how awesome is that?
1: Yeah, that's crazy. So, but it and it also
2: motivates them to maintain their muscle mass, mm. get their protein in, don't deplete their their protein source you know stores as they start losing weight, and mm-hmm. not get fixated on I lost five pounds. Well, where did you lose it from?
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a better way to help, like the um the body dysmorphia part, where like no, you've lost it. Look at the compensation, like yeah, I right. said that word wrong, but that's
1: compensation. Right. Thank you. Com- com- I don't yeah. Okay. I was <laughs> like, oh man, that didn't sound right on my like, <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: How many times have you said? I'm sure you like. I don't feel like the number changed, but my clothes fit better. Yeah, You mm-hmm, hear 100%. people say that all the time. Oh, I did. Well, it. We can ex- we can explain that to them. Well you know, you've all, we've all heard muscle weighs more than fat and that's very true. But if mm-hmm. I've dropped your body fat, fat percentage by a percent, percent and a half, mm-hmm. and you've added, a you've added, you know, a mu- muscle mass, your overall weight number didn't change. But the reason your clothes fit better is because you're, 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 you're now moving towards a more balanced body type. Yeah.
1: So I'm wondering, because I saw a post the other day about Somebody was in a stall and they were like, can can you guys give us some me some tips on how to start losing weight again? And a couple people, you know, did the dreaded pouch reset, like go back oh, to the God. beginning, go back to the beginning and like eat what you did then. And uh, I was just can you explain to me why that doesn't work? Yes, please.
2: Well, there's no button in your pouch or your sleeve that we hit and, it you know, rewinds. it it, it just doesn't work that way Mm -hmm. there's no such thing as a pouch reset there's mind resets Um, and if the few people that it works maybe that's why it works for them because Mm -hmm. they started all over and they went back to their basics Mm -hmm. Um, but theoretically that actually would be opposite especially you want to talk about a pouch reset so we're talking about somebody who's got a gastric bypass Mm -hmm. why a year later when they're their anastomosis on their bypass is not near as tight as it was postoperatively okay. when they were on liquids because all they could drink was liquids because solid food would have been stuck yeah. because you have swelling and inflammation.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Why would they feel fuller a year later with a pouch that's wide open compared to what it was when they were on those liquids on the first week? Now think about that. It makes yeah. zero sense. Mm-hmm. But I think the people that it works for, they probably just repro get their mind right. Yeah they start from scratch. So it's a mind reset. There's okay. no such thing as a pouch okay. reset. Okay, then they need it. Yeah, um, we need to
0: rever. We we can change. We that. can
1: change the reverberage on that. Yeah. Um. So is right. it doing more harm than good if you're going back to like, say they say,
0: okay, I'm going to do two weeks of liquids again. Yeah, that's that's what we're, we're seeing people do.
1: You know. <sighs>
2: There are situations I tell patients all the time. It is as important for you to advance your diet as fast as I say, mm-hmm. as it is to not advance it too fast. Mm. Like most people would say, "Oh, if I advance it too fast, I could hurt something. I could tear something apart." Yeah. But if people say they go to stage two or stage three, they're like, "Ugh, feels you know, man, one bite, I feel that in my chest. I'm not sure I like that. I'll just go back to liquids." You may never open things up like you're supposed to, you know, you know, using the word stretch to a bariatric surgery patient. They're like, they don't want to hear that word. They don't want anything all. to stretch. That
1: is a bad word especially in this their sleeve. Yeah. But
2: we need, we need to open for you all a sleeve to the size that it's supposed to be. Mm. So you're not getting negative feedback to your brain. I always say your sleeve's like a half-kinked water hose, you know? Oh, okay. And if you, if you take a half-kinked, you look at the shape of it, it's like a half-kinked water hose. And. If you turn the water on a trickle, the water doesn't want to go through. But as you turn the water pressure up, it will straighten out. Oh, and so early on, when you have that nausea, it's that's an analogy that I teach my patients. So I say, when you're so nauseous, you think the last thing you want to do is drink? That's you need to drink because every sip you take, you're turning the water up. You're turning the water up and that's going to overcome that feedback to your brain where your sleeve is, is kinked a little bit. It's sending a signal to your brain that you're nauseous and that you need to get rid of what you need to get rid of, but you don't. Mm. And so I've seen patients, they get so cautious and they're six, eight, 12 weeks out and they've never started solid foods. And now they have this chronic nausea that they can't get over Mm. because they've never opened things up. And then they start developing food aversions as well, you know, Mm. And it's very frustrating because I look at their sleeve, I scope their sleeve, we do upper GI's. I'm like, your anatomy's normal, but you've wow. now developed this subconscious aversion to everything makes me nauseous. It smells nauseous. You know, you have to overcome that. So These I'm not are... saying that people go back to liquids for a week or two forever down the road. It's going to be a bad thing for them. Right. Mm -hmm. but you're not fixing the problem. Mm. You know, if you've stalled in weight, number one, let's look at your calories and where your nutrition's come from. Or Mm -hmm. number two, if you're working out, no one's ever bothered to look at, maybe you stalled because you've lost body fat percentage and you've maintained your muscle mass. That's okay. Ignore that stall and keep doing what you're doing. And it will continue to progress because the more muscle mass you have in proportion, the higher your, your metabolism will run and you'll burn more calories. Yeah. So I think you gotta get to the underlying problem. What is the stall? Okay. And that's why follow-up is so important. You you don't try to figure you sit down with your dietitian, you sit down with your doctor, you sit down in your support group, like what you guys have and other resources may have, and really figure out what's the stall from. It's not a juice diet, it's not a liquid diet, mm-hmm. it's not a pouch reset. Mm-hmm. It's let's let's get down to the base.
1: Well, and I hate it because we all have done every diet out there you know most of the time we've done juice cleanses we've done all carbs we've done no carbs we've done the egg diet egg <laughs> the military, diet, the diet. military <laughs> like we've done them you name it we've done them and right. so it's like the poultry set is just another diet that right. you're you're going back to it because it's familiar Instead of going to the root of the problem of, okay, let's, let's, am I getting enough water? Am I getting enough protein? What kind of carbs am I eating? What, you know, and like you said, you know, contact your surgeon, contact your nutritionist, figure out what's going on because that's a really, I mean, just the whole, um, body composition thing, you know, you have to know, are you working out really hard? Well, then it could be muscle that you are now gaining. So of course you're going to stall,
0: as you work out harder and harder. Right. Well, and I know that we want to talk to you about sleep because sleep plays a factor in losing weight as well.
2: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I'm as guilty as anybody of probably Mm. not getting enough doing what I do, you know, Mm. and starting in residency, you know, you're kind of, we we don't sleep. No, I I trained in the days where there were no work hour restrictions. You're doing, we're going 120 hours a week and you you go nonstop. But you know, and we get busy and, and sometimes the last thing we do is take care of ourselves right. because we worry about everybody else. Mm-hmm. But sleep is is a huge factor in your overall health, without mm-hmm. a doubt, your mental health. Um, but, you know, when we t- we're talking about, obviously, uh, being pa- patients battling with their weight yeah. and battling with obesity mm-hmm. and, you know, just some of the things that you you can take and look at sleep as, let's make it really simple. When are we most susceptible to eating at the worst time of the day and the worst foods. Yep, late at night, uh, right? late at night, yeah. And you'll have those <laughs> fluctuations in your insulin and things like that. And even if you have dinner at five, that usually hits about eight thirty, nine mm-hmm. o'clock, where you get that craving. Yep. So, mm-hmm. how do you? Well, one of the easiest ways to avoid the craving is not be awake for the craving. And there's literally studies that think that probably getting to bed early probably helps with the snacking and eating late. Okay. Um, Now we can get really scientific with it too. And we can say, well, how does sleep affect, um, you know, being overweight? Mm -hmm. And we know some of the hunger hormones like ghrelin and the leptin and things like that. And we know in studies where people were sleeping four hours or less versus sleeping 10 hours, that those hormone levels were drastically different. So that that hunger hormone was produced at a much higher level for some of those people, which probably led to, um, to, you know, losing less weight or eating a a poor diet.
1: Okay. So Um, was it the four hour or the 10 hour that was more ghrelin? Before. So
2: when you're, when you're not sleeping enough, yeah. your levels are, are being produced at a higher. Got it. Okay. Right. Being produced higher. Yeah. So, um, we, th- they did a study and I can't remember where it was done, where they just took like a 14 day period of sleep deprivation versus not sleep deprivation. And they noticed that you're, then, uh, and, and, but they were trying to do other modalities to lose weight and mm. people lost more than 50% less fat if they were sleep deprived than if they were Getting adequate sleep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of linkages with sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, people tend to be more physically active when they're getting enough sleep. I mean, Mm -hmm. think about it. If you're getting enough sleep, you're not tired the next day. If you're not Mm -hmm. tired the next day, if I need to work out when I get home, but I'm exhausted, uh, there's less likely that I'm going to go work out Mm -hmm. than if I'm not as tired. And that is typically in relationship to how much. Rest I got the night before. Yeah. So, you know, there's scientific things, there's common sense things, but there's, you know, adequate sleep is so important. And, you know,
1: how much do you generally recommend your patients to get like right after surgery?
2: Well, I mean, in, in the bare minimum, you always want people to try to get, you know, eight or more hours of sleep. Okay. You know, ideally, if you look a lot of data, people would say that it would be better if you got 10 hours of sleep. Wow. But we also live in a very busy world. Yep. And I think we can set these really high standards, but I think you have to be practical with it, too. Yes. Okay. Um, and you at least set some goals that may be more realistic because you set goals that aren't going to be achieved. It's just frustrating and mm-hmm. people people get mad and they quit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, right off the bat, we try to set those parameters for patients um, okay. to try to achieve that.
1: Yeah. I never had a sleep goal. Like I never, I, I don't remember my surgeon ever saying a sleep goal. So I'm kind of excited that there is that information out there yeah. of right after surgery or even, you know, later on, you need to be getting more sleep because right. that would make sense on why I'm hungry all the time because I'm only getting four hours of yeah. sleep a night.
2: Well, and you know, when you're tired, um, what do we do when we're tired? We want comfort, right? Yep. When you're little, you want your mom or you want whoever, your, your guardian, you mm-hmm. want to be comforted. Mm-hmm. Um, you may want your, your significant other or your spouse or whoever that may be. Mm-hmm. But when we're tired and, oh, by the way, we're also hungry, we're drawn to comfort and we're drawn to comfort food and comfort food is not typically healthy food, right? It's what can I get quickly? I just want to eat something that feels good to me or tastes Mm. good to me. Mm -hmm. And those are usually poor choices. And that many times is out of the fact that we're just fatigued and we're run
1: down. Mm. Oh, you just perfectly described me. (laughs) 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 Yes. Oh man, okay. I think that is the most important statement we've gotten on the podcast yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: I would agree because, like, if we we should all have sleep goals. We should just like, yeah. We should just start maybe doing challenges about sleep because yeah. it is so important to like. Like, I notice my mood is like the hugest thing for me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I am very very nice when I <laughs> get all when this you sleep. have enough sleep. Yeah. Yes, yes, oh, I.
1: I, I definitely can attest to the when you aren't when you're tired the next day, you, the last thing on your mind is eating well. Yeah. And working out and doing those right. things that are detrimental to your health goal. Yeah. And yeah. so but if I'm if it's one of those strange nights where I get like six to seven hours, I'm good. Yeah. Like Last night, I think I got about six hours of sleep. Woke up this morning, went to the gym. You did. Went home, had my water. Like I was getting everything going. I had my my healthy. Uh, I did uh, real good. The chicken oh, things. Yeah. I did those in the air fryer for lunch, nice. and I was like, I even made my mom one, uh-huh. and I was like, Hey, mom, here's a healthy lunch. All this energy. Um. <laughs> so, I getting good sleep. I mean, and I'm now making the connection to why right. today was so good. <laughs> over normal days yeah so yeah that's That's, sleep is huge man i'm my mind's blown right now so (laughs) yeah and and we're
2: we're all guilty of you Mm -hmm. know i I, i'm bad for you know i come home i've been operating all day or you know i just um from traveling whether you know speaking somewhere or teaching a course or something Mm -hmm. like that and then you know you got to turn everything off Mm -hmm. yeah I'm, i'm really guilty of when i go to bed TV's on, you know, and that stimulus is there. And I, that's something I'm still working on um, Yeah, because my mind is going a thousand times a minute. Mm. And I'm thinking of all these things that I've got coming up that I've mm-hmm. got to get done or, what my schedule's like. So mm. it's not easy. I'm no. you know, the, I, I always try to say, Hey, I'm not sitting here saying this is what you're supposed to do. Cause I've got it all figured out.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
2: I'm human just like everybody else, but oh. I, you know, I'm right there with you.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, my, I love that. my trick is I, I literally do turn everything off and then I turn white noise on. I do like a fan and it's like mm-hmm. on the, the medium loudness. Mm-hmm. And then I literally like I put now. I put. I'm like an old lady. I got a mask. Oh my lord! Put <laughs> a mask on. I don't even care because literally, I'm out within like 10, 15 minutes because that the works. white noise it works. Like turns like makes me just go like into calm.
1: See, and I use the TV as my white noise because if I found and I figured this out last night, which is probably why I slept so good. If I have a TV show that I have not seen before or a movie or whatever, I am more apt to wake up. And like, even though I set the sleep timer, like I'll sleep for 20 minutes and then I'll wake up. Now, I've seen Zootopia a million times. I love that movie. Oh I don't God. know what it is. Anybody who has kids that understands where I'm at, there is a part where she gets on the train and goes into Zootopia. Every single time that I play this movie, before she even gets to Zootopia, I'm out. Oh. And I don't wake up. So I don't know if it's like, just like it that movie or what. So... Zootopia right. is going to be on rotation now every single night. There you go, and I'm going to test white it out. Yeah. yeah,
0: Zootopia. Just gotta, you got to find what your white noise is. Yeah, <laughs> right. whatever it is, <laughs> no matter how weird. <laughs> so, so when you did your fellowship, it, so it sounds like you've actually done surgeries that like you've like open and then libroscopic and then now robotic.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and actually, when I was in when I was in residency, there were no bariatric fellowships then. Oh. There was minimally invasive fellowships. Okay. And part of the mentally invasive fellowship where you might take a year and you focus primarily at that time on laparoscopic surgery, a little bit on colorectal hernia, you know, foregut and bariatrics might have been a component of that. That really wasn't a thing. Now you can do those fellowships. When I came out of my residency, the MIS fellowships, I had really I had more cases logged than I would have gotten in a year of fellowship focused on that just because of the unique situation that I kind of fell in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I took good advantage of that as Mm -hmm. well. But, um, so, but I was trained, our MIS was, was laparoscopic, you know, robotics was being talked about. It was very, very early on. The, the, the systems at that time were, um, not near as advanced as they are now. Mm -hmm. And so I started practice in 2006 Mm. and started robotics in 2012 so i've been okay. doing robotic surgery for for about 10 years nice
0: wow wow wow. yeah so what is like how does that all work so you know the easiest way to
2: describe robotic surgery to people is always i start off by saying robotic surgery is like laparoscopic surgery on steroids now okay. that's that's a very non-scientific way of explaining it, but Here's the way that I explain it to my patients um, and patients are very aware of, you know, technology now.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, laparoscopically, as you all saw, you know, you've 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 had some surgeons and watch the laparoscopic surgery. So we put trocars in the abdomen, little mm-hmm. tubes, mm-hmm. fill your belly up full of CO2. So we've got room to work and mm-hmm. we put instruments in those tubes. Um, and they're like straight sticks okay. and on the end of there may be a grasper or a needle driver, a pair of scissors or whatever we need to do mm-hmm. a stapler. Um, but they're straight sticks. And so we're limited by moving it side to side in and out or rotating. It, right. Okay. Um, we are also fighting the resistance of the abdominal wall. So some people, their abdominal wall may be this thick. Some people, their abdominal wall may be this thick. Obviously, mm-hmm. if we do weight loss surgery, we're dealing with larger patients, bigger, thicker abdominal walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I always tell patients, if I sent you to work today and I put a cast on you from just beyond your wrist up to your armpit, and I asked you to do your job like this, whatever your job is. <sighs> I now, now you got come a mental home, picture. I'm going <laughs> to... I, you come home, I'll take those casts off of your arms and you go back to work and you do your job. Tell me which one was, which, which you, you said you were more accurate and more precise. Right. Like, well, mm. duh. Robotic surgery. Um, we use small trocars. We have instruments that load. The robot doesn't touch the patient. The robot is connected to the trocars and the instruments load. But I sit at a console And I have complete control of those instruments, but I also have complete wristed motion too. So when my hand does this, the Mm -hmm. tips of those instruments are completely wristed. Mm
3: -hmm. I can
2: see inside of a patient 10 times magnified than I can laparoscopically or with the naked eye. I can see in 3D and HD. And and I don't say 3D like, oh, cool, like it's a 3D movie, (laughs) but we see the world in 3D. We -hmm. see depth. Like right now. I know that wall's behind you, mm-hmm. but I can't see depth perception on the screen right. that I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. I see inside of you when I operate robotically in the same depth perception that I would see the world. Nice. So the accuracy of working in a millimeter space is going to be much more precise. Yeah. Wow. And then I'm sitting in a complete stable platform. Mm. So You know, I've had days where, um, if it was a sleeve day, I've had days where I've done nine sleeves in one day. Now, can you imagine the fatigue that I would have in my arms at the end of my day? Yeah. Laparoscopically, robotically, I feel exactly the same. Mm. So the force of a tremor is not strong enough to move the robotic instrument. I have to know where to put that instrument. But everywhere I put that instrument and my arms sit there resting, a force of a small movement will not move that instrument. It requires a stronger force to initiate the movement. So wherever I'm placing it, it's completely still and stable. Nice. So there's a ton of advantages of you know, staplers, the stapling technology that we have robotically that you can only experience if you do these surgeries robotically, because the robot has thousands of computers inside of it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you all had your sleeve, they mm-hmm. used a stapler. You all right. saw a stapler used, I'm sure, in the surgery. Yeah,
1: so we call it the gator. Does, yeah, we call it the gator. Yeah. The gator. Yep,
2: exactly. <laughs> so staplers are really cool instruments. We've used those for years in surgery. That's not new. Mm-hmm. In a nutshell, we we take a stapler, we clamp tissue, it compresses the tissue and it fires right rows of staples and fires a blade between those rows and separates the tissue Mm, so it's stapled closed. But in laparoscopic surgery, we have to guesstimate what size staple we need. So we have different colors of loads that correspond to different heights of staples. Mm-hmm. So, if I want to staple 300 sheets of paper, I better pick a stapler big enough that will go through all the sheets and mm-hmm. form, or they'll come apart.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep.
2: And if I need to staple 100 sheets of paper, I don't need to use a stapler made for 300. It'll form, it'll hold your handouts together, but they're going to be loose. Mm-hmm. So, the first example would mean if the staple's not long enough, your tissue comes apart. That's bad. Yeah. Or if I just err on the side of caution and I pick a big staple every time, it's not tight, your tissue bleeds. So in surgery and mm-hmm. laparoscopic surgery, we make good but educated guesses on what load should we use. Mm-hmm. The robotic stapler that we use, which is fairly, you know, technology that's come out over the past few years, mm-hmm. so this stapler' is connected to the tissue. When I clamp the tissue, that stapler knows what load I chose. It will compress that tissue. And it will not fire that stapler until that tissue is compressed based on the staple height that I chose. Holy crap. And so in one of you, it may pause six, seven, eight times. Every few millimeters, it hits another segment that's too thick and it compresses it. And if it can't compress it over time, it gives me an alert. It makes me remove that stapler and then I upgrade to a higher staple. Nice. So why would I not want to be able to, to make the best refined staple line that I can every single time. Love that. Now, laparoscopic surgery is awesome. I'm not sitting here saying that whoever's doing it laparoscopically is doing it poorly. I'm Mm -hmm. just telling you why I made investment in a lot of hours, because it's not like you can just sit down and start doing it robotically. You're learning, you know, you're learning a lot of stuff that's new to you. Yeah. Um, But there's so many advantages to the patient. There's advantages to me to be more precise, to be more Mm -hmm. efficient. It, mm-hmm. I can do more surgeries um, and feel the way that I do. I, I definitely think that it will extend my career um, because nice I, I don't like, have you get to get
0: fatigued. Wear
1: a right? Absolutely. Yeah, you would have to yeah. get yeah.
0: fatigued like doing that many in yeah. a
1: day. Well, and with laparoscopically, you're standing. You're right. you know, like you said, you've got those like casts on your arms and you're trying to do like that's yeah. exhausting yeah. all in
2: itself. And laparoscopically, I'm dependent upon assistance. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, most if you see somebody that had a sleeve, they're gonna have four to five small little incisions. Right. And mm-hmm. if that's done laparoscopically, two of those incisions were used by the surgeon. Mm-hmm. Two of those incisions were used by the assistant. The robot has four arms, but I control all four arms oh. with a series of pedals and and my hands. I assist myself, retract, and I so my assistants sit there and field and all they do is exchange instruments when I ask for a needle driver in place of a, a grasping instrument. That's pretty oh, that's and so I have cool. great assistance, but I, you know, nobody knows what I want better than me. Right. Nobody knows where I want that camera moved. Mm-hmm. And the time it takes me to tell somebody where I want them to move it, I've moved it there and I've done five more steps. And so there's just so many advantages that we can give patients Um, and it's, it's really cool technology.
1: So how long does it take you about on average to do like a sleeve surgery with the robotics?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, we have apps that link to the robot that really we we can review our times, our efficiencies and everything. So sleeve, my average time is going to be just barely over about 30 minutes. Nice. Um, Okay. And a bypass is going to be probably closer to an hour to an hour and 10 minutes. Now okay. there'll be variations, you know, right. some are more complex and some are easier. Awesome. Um, but you know what the robot does is it really marries, narrow, excuse me, narrows that variation. Right. You mm-hmm. know? So I might be able to do my fast sleeve laparoscopically as fast as my, as the robot, but the longest might've been a bigger gap where the robot really, it just makes it very, very predictable.
3: Mm,
2: I um, like it. Which, which is nice when you're, trying to schedule days and how many patients can I take care of today and how long is it going to take me to do this? And, um, you know, anytime as surgeons, we can make things reproducible. We know that that typically leads to better outcomes.
0: That's so amazing. I like how efficient
1: it is. Yes. (laughs) So what I want to, I just want to hear a little bit about how you got started on TLC. Yeah. How did that all happen? (laughs) Because I have been dying to ask this question (laughs) because I'm like, What, how did that come about? Seriously.
2: You know, um, it was really just by chance. Um, I had, um, I was in my office one day, this is a few years ago now. And my office manager at the time said, hey, somebody from the Discovery Network called, they want you to call them back. And I'm like, okay. And I threw it on my desk. Someone from another production company had reached out to me years ago um, and gosh, this was before zoom. This was when we were Skyping everybody. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and, uh, had a had an idea for a pilot show. Um, and we kind of went over some stuff and then I just felt like the direction that it was going really what they wanted to hear or what they wanted to see had li- very little to do with what I did for a living and more mm-hmm. to do with maybe some of the, the negative aspects you may want to call it. I don't know, but okay, okay. just, It wasn't for me. I said, thanks, but no thanks kind of thing. Yeah. So when I see this again, I don't really put too much thought about it. And about a week later, my manager said, did you ever call that number back? And he said, you know what? I didn't. I actually slipped my mind. I've just been busy. And one of the girls that worked in my office said, I wonder if it's about thousand pound sisters. And I'll be really honest. I've told them this too. I said, I had to say, well, what is that? I didn't know what that was. Yeah. So I called And it was the production company that was involved with the show. And they wanted to talk to me and wanted to know if I would be willing to to take them as patients. Um, Obviously, uh, Amy had had surgery. Tammy had not had surgery. Mm -hmm. Chris was interested in having surgery and kind of become involved with them. So it's a lot of conversations back and forth. Um, And I went to my CEO Uh, at our hospital. Cause you know, there's some legal stuff that has to take place on the hospital. You know, hospitals are very uh, focused on trying to make sure that, you know, you're getting TV crews and all that stuff, Mm, you know, that changes things. So, so I sat down with him and he said, do you want to do this? And I'm like, and he said, if you want to do it, we'll support you. He's like, it's going to be a lot of work on my behalf, but you know, if you Mm want to do it. And I told him, I said, you know what? I want to tell you the main reason I want to do this is, these patients are from within our own state. Yeah. And I said, I'm tired of sometimes watching things where it feels like, especially from maybe a rural community or maybe a state that seemed maybe smaller than some larger states that the patients have to be kind of taken off to the big city Mm -hmm. to get premium, premium care. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I tell people all the time, I say, you know, um, valet parking and waterfalls in front of hospitals and Taj Mahal buildings don't take care of people. The people inside four walls take care of people and there's good doctors in the big ones and there's good doctors in the little ones. Mm -hmm. And I said, I know we can take as good if not better care of these of these patients as anybody can. Mm -hmm. That's really why, um, I want to do it. And he's like, okay. So, um, they had, I, they had seen some maybe stuff that we had done really through just our practice, um, some testimonials. I guess they'd heard me speak. And then obviously they'd done some research on the volume of surgeries that I'd done and our practice in general. And that's really how it came about. I, I never had sought them out or Mm -hmm. anything like that, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's been great. It's been a new process for me. I was very adamant that like, I'm going to be me And I don't know if that's going to make for very good TV or not, you know, it may (laughs) not, but I'm going to be me. I'm not going to say things that I wouldn't say to a patient. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say things to a patient in a different way than I would normally say them, good Mm -hmm. or bad. Good, good. Um, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to compromise what I would expect from them. And this is how I treat people. And, you know, um, and that's what I'm going to do. And they were great. They were very supportive of that. They were like, "No, that's what we want you to do. You know, we're we're not going to ask you to to compromise your principles of how you care for patients, how you talk to patients, how you handle mm-hmm. certain situations that may arise."
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: that's really that was my biggest concern. And and then that from that standpoint, I think it's been great, and I've been very pleased with how that's gone.
0: Yay! Oh my goodness, I love the fact that like you're like I want to do this, but smaller state get the people in here Mm -hmm. because that's so true after you said i'm like yeah they all do that they're all like go over to this fabulous place get it done and it's like well and and it's not that they don't do a good job either but you know Mm -hmm. i think
2: um you know it was just that that was something that was really important to me so yeah um i don't know it
0: helps us build more confidence in our own states though Mm -hmm. you know by you doing that and Mm -hmm. that's a big deal because it's like you don't actually have to there's there's got to be A couple people qualified at least in your state, you would think. Like, there's just some research you might have to do, but, Mm -hmm. like, just know that you can find help in your own state. Well, and I
1: had surgery in a smaller town. Mm -hmm. So we live in Salem, which is, you know, about an hour south of Portland, which is Mm -hmm. huge. And Mel had surgery in Portland. Yep. Um, I got you. I went to McMinnville, which is about 45 minutes away from us, but it is a small town. Yep. And I had great care through that small town. And I, you know, there was a point in my surgery um, journey where I might not have been able to have my doctor that I had worked with for six months do my surgery. And I was like, no, no, I don't (laughs) want to go to a bigger hospital. I want to have you do it because you trust the surgeon. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you develop that, that rapport with them, you know, the rapport you were talking about with your, you know, PCPs, that's the same rapport that you should be cultivating with your surgeon because you should have that infinite trust that they're going to take care of you because that's their job. Yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad that you have, have really advocated for that because right. how uh, long-
2: I couldn't agree more. I think our specialty is different than any surgical specialty where mm-hmm. we're asking people to make, you know, I tell, I tell patients all the time, you have to find a program that you can have a long-term relationship Mm -hmm. with. You have to have trust with. Mm -hmm. And it's my job as a surgeon to create an environment that you are as likely to come when you're messing up as you are when you want to brag about a before and after picture. If I only make you feel good about yourself when you're hitting my numbers, Mm -hmm. then I'm not doing my job. I'm going to be honest with you and I'm going to be direct but you should never be hesitant to come back because you're going to be afraid that someone's going to make you feel less or belittle you or yell at you or whatever. Mm -hmm. I've I've failed as your surgeon. It doesn't matter how good of a surgeon I am Mm -hmm. with my hands. It doesn't matter what my outcomes are like. And I'm very proud of the number of surgeries that I've done and what my outcomes are. But Mm -hmm. I think you have to build that rapport. And and we were asking people who are Many times battling secure insecurity issues mm-hmm. they're battling issues where they've been ousted by their doctor, their family, whatever that mm-hmm. may be
3: mm-hmm.
2: and oh by the way, go through sometimes a six month process mm-hmm. and all the work involved to do that and so I think it it's on us to put in that extra effort outside of just the surgical principles to build that relationship with them and I will say probably the biggest compliment that I have taken from the show is the feedback that I've got from people about how I've approached the patients mm. and Tammy specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when maybe Tammy wasn't always doing what we wanted her to do, or maybe Tammy wasn't ready to do what we needed her to do.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, I remember one time somebody said, why don't you just give her an ultimatum? And I'm like, well, I did give her an ultimatum. I said, we have to do these things before we go to the operating room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But who am I to tell a patient that their timeline has to be my timeline. Mm. You oh, know? I like that. I'm, he- I'm here every day. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to bend my rules and give you something that I don't think is in your best interest if you're not ready for it. Mm. Yeah. But who am I to say, well, you didn't do this on this timeline that I set. So I'm out. I'm a bariatric surgeon. I'm there every day, every week. And when oh, we're yeah. ready to do that, that's what we'll do. And that just seems common sense to me, it does, but I yeah. think, I think it's been nice that patients have seen that and maybe they haven't heard that in other places and know that mm. that's a possibility. And there are other places that will treat them that way too.
1: If I didn't like you enough already, I, I really like you after that whole <laughs> thing. Like, I just, I appreciate that because I think sometimes as bariatric patients, we feel like we're. If we're not moving at a certain speed,
0: mm-hmm. we're not
1: making progress. Yeah. But then right. I think also at that same time, if you're not ready for it, it's always going to be there. You have to make sure that you right. are 100 percent ready for this process, because I think a lot of people jump into it because they're like, if I don't do it fast, I'm not ever going to do it. And yeah. it's like if you're if if that's the way you're thinking Maybe it's not the right time frame. Maybe you need to take a right. little bit longer to do it so that you, because I know when I walked into that hospital on the day of surgery, I was 100% ready. And it didn't mean right. I wasn't nervous, but I knew that I was doing what I needed to do. Yeah. And I was
0: 100% on board. Yep. And so I I really appreciate that you said that. Well, yeah, because like everybody has like a different learning curve too. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like you have to learn a lot through these processes, whether it's three months, six months, Mm -hmm. a year. Like it doesn't matter how long it takes, as long as you finally learned all the things. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't learn all the things, then you're not going to be successful. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. It's okay to take your time. Just like we yeah, say,
2: just because you hit a number doesn't mean you're ready. Correct. And just because you don't hit a number doesn't mean that you don't have the the ability to become ready.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and I think that that's important to to consider both directions.
3: So. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Just like it's okay for you to shop around for a surgeon to, like you said, to like make sure that you have that connection. You feel comfortable with them. You want to make sure that you have that infinite trust in them, that they're, they right. have your best. Um What's the word I'm looking for? Interest at heart? No. No. Whatever. (laughs) So they have your back no matter what. Yeah. Right. That, you know, so it's okay to shop around if you don't connect with a certain surgeon or a certain nutritionist. How likely are you going to go back in if you're like you said, have problems? So say you're you're not at a stall and you've done everything right and you're not sure what's going on. How likely are you to go back if you don't feel comfortable talking to them? Yeah.
2: Right. Absolutely. So Absolutely. And that doesn't mean that you have to tell them what they want to hear. No. You have to have empathy for people and tell mm-hmm. them the truth. But there's mm-hmm. different ways that you can say the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when I had that, when that person said that to me, there's a message, you know, on social media, you know, you you need to get, I, I wanted to say, you want the ultimatum. Yeah. You just want it to end by season three so you can see if that's not how this works. This Mm -hmm. is real life. Yeah. So, you know, the ultimatum is I will not operate on you if X, Y, and Z have not been accomplished Mm because that's not what's best for you. Mm -hmm. I have to set you up for success both short-term and Mm long-term that you will not harm yourself and be convinced of that. Mm -hmm. That's the ultimatum. The ultimatum isn't don't come back because you didn't hit a number. Right. Mm -hmm. That is
1: wrong yeah yeah and that's where you know the patients have heard that over and over again they've they've been exactly they've every diet you're on if you miss if you don't hit a certain goal well that's the end of that diet okay well let's just eat some more and like we're gonna fill that void that we're feeling because we just you know failed in quotation marks because you you haven't failed because you're still trying Mm -mm. but um i think that's where it well, Your program or what, how you deal with patients is so different because of that. Like you're saying, do it the correct way, but and I'm not going to give you any leeway on this because these the rules are the rules, but right. I'm here for you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And obviously there's there's one of me and there's lots of patients and yes. we're extremely busy. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's my job. I can't be the person that conveys that message every time the message needs to be conveyed. Mm-hmm. It may be multiple times in a week for certain people. Yeah, But that everybody, you know, I'm surrounded by great people. I learned that lesson a long time ago. You know, one of the big keys to success is surround yourself with really smart people mm-hmm. and people that care about the same things you care about. Yeah. You know, so I have great, PAs and nurse practitioners and dietitians and, and all the people in our staff, from our nurses, and our MAs and our coordinators and our lead coordinators and everything, even the people that answer a message on a Facebook page, mm-hmm. they have that, you know, that this is our rules guy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I don't have to reinforce that because that's just mm-hmm. the kind of people that they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, it's important because that message has to be consistent from everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we've, we've all had bad days. We've answered, somebody's answered the phone, maybe short, something bad mm-hmm. happened at home or whatever. I'm, I'm sure I've made plenty of people frustrated at me too. I'm, <laughs> I make mistakes just like everybody else. But I think that's important that I always try to say, we want the patients to feel like that because mm-hmm. they're already struggling. That's why they're here. Right. It's okay mm-hmm. to struggle. Let's just try to find out how we can help them not struggle.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, Dr. Eric, is there any tips that you would like to uh, tell our listeners before we go?
2: Listen to you guys, you guys are (laughs) giving them a ton of information. No, I mean, seriously, I I will, I will say this. um, And and I mean this, you know, I, um, I probably was exposed to this community on social media a little bit born out of my participation on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I will, I'll be the first to tell you, if you rewind years ago, I was not, I was almost anti-social media from a medicine standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, I always say as doctors, we kind of dread the doctor, do, the doctor Google secret, oh, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I, I realized by kind of researching on my own and looking, you know, people like you guys and other patients that have, you know, platforms of of all sorts, and mm. I've met other surgeons through this that I haven't met face to face in person. That but we've commented on each other's things, yeah. and you know, patients and dietitians and uh, prospective patients and surgeons, mm. and it, and it's really really cool because um, people connect differently with different people. Yeah. And there's so many great resources, and finally, I said I can sit around and complain with maybe some of the the messages that are out there before I saw all the positive that it is, mm-hmm. or I can do something about it and I can contribute a little bit for myself Yeah, you know as well. Mm-hmm. So I think what you guys offer for, for people is really, really cool. And it's awesome because it gives them the ability to connect and kind of have that support system. You've said earlier, you have bad days, you have bad weeks, mm-hmm. yep. you have bad months.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and patients need to know that it's okay. It's normal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you failed. Mm-hmm. You just get back on the horse. It's it's progress, not perfection. And everybody else feels the way that you do. Yep. You know? And so I think really the best advice that I can give is find a sur- to people is find a surgeon that you can trust and that mm-hmm. you can build a relationship with. You need to know their volume, you know. You don't want a nice surgeon who's only done five cases. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. you know, but somebody who's who's well experienced and well trained, but mostly, but they also need to be able to how to help you with your mm-hmm. bad days as easy as they can with your good days and then find a strong support system. And if you're lucky enough to have a family that will do that, great. Mm-hmm. If you're not, that's okay. Let them learn through your success mm-hmm. and find people like you all and other people that they can find online Mm -hmm. to join up with and, and really help them through it.
0: I mean, for reals, if you just find your people like that's I noticed for me was a big mm-hmm. deal. Like once I found the community because I had my surgery almost seven years ago. Mm-hmm. So like seven years ago, this community was not like this and, yeah. or existing. Oh. So, yeah, it's insane how much like camaraderie there is. Like everybody mm-hmm. just wants to help because I think we all yeah. know what it feels like mm-hmm. to be that bigger person and just wanting more. Well, and I didn't so. realize
1: how... I was telling Mel that I was kind of almost subconsciously not looking as much mm-hmm. or as deeply into Instagram as I normally would over, you know, about a month, maybe longer, because I didn't want to look at myself not doing what I knew I was supposed to be doing. And when I'm in this community and I'm commenting and I'm looking at people's photos, I'm getting motivated Mm -hmm. by them. So it's it's as much- Exactly. And so I was like subconsciously not looking at it and not being as present. And I was like, I know exactly why I'm doing it now. Like it just smacked (laughs) me in the face. And I was like, oh man, I knew there (laughs) was a reason. And now that I've been back- in it like full force like I I went back to the gym for the first time this morning and I loved it and it was just like it 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 keeps me as much as we motivate them they motivate us. oh yes
0: oh yeah and
1: that's the biggest thing that I get out of this podcast is just the the constant motivation and um, interaction with people because it doesn't matter if you're just saying hey love that episode or you have a really you know problem that you need answer
0: to it It's right. just so motivating. It is. Well, you motivated yeah. me to this morning. So I was like, oh, I need to get back to the gym. Oh, too. yeah. Because I was like, that oh, looked like fun. My. It looked oh, like Mel.
1: fun. Weren't you supposed to sign up for the gym over the weekend so you could I go was. with me? I, yeah. was. I just was pointing that yeah, I out that, there. We get that from our
2: patients, too. I'm sure mm-hmm. other surgeons would tell you the same thing. We mm-hmm. get that from our patients, too. I love to do what I do and I love yeah. to operate. I'm, I'm the uh, luckiest guy in the world to get to do a job that I love so much. Um, but there's days when you're tired and there's things are piling on and you get busy and you get caught off guard and then that you see that patient that you've impacted. And, you know, I do. I'm, I fly out in the morning to Atlanta. I'm going to train some surgeons there um, and, and as well as some people that work for Intuitive that are becoming bariatric surgery reps, too. Oh, but cool. I love that mm-hmm. side. But I enjoy helping patients just as much. And, and it has nothing to do with talking about a procedure or a right. skill mm-hmm. or anything like that. Yeah. Um, because ultimately it still reaches the end goal of, of helping people. Mm-hmm. So you know, I get it. And and I get that back from patients as well. So the simplest, thank you, mm-hmm. um, man can make your day. So oh, I'm right seriously, there. With you. 100%. Yeah. We got a
1: message today and I was just like, almost in tears. I was like, man, like that just made my whole day. Like, and I yeah. was already pumped from the gym. And then I read that and I was just like, it, it they don't know how much that means to us. Just reading, you know, that we have helped them become so prepared for surgery that they feel like they've got a handle on it. Like, it means a lot. It and does. It does. It it's means like it's
0: working. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Makes it all worth it. Exactly. 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 <laughs> well, thank you so much for hanging out with us, Dr. Mm-hmm. Eric. We really yeah, appreciate absolutely. this opportunity. So, yes. Yes. Um, so My guys, pleasure. if you want to watch this, go to YouTube right now. It comes on your phone automatically. You don't even have to download it. <laughs> Click the button. <laughs> That's her bargaining and chip. <laughs> it is. It is. Just type in Archley Life podcast and then hit the bell and subscribe. And then you get all of season two, through five so far and you even get unboxings. You get taste testing. Yeah, there's so, a lot of stuff over there. A lot of stuff. And don't forget to check out patreon.com forward slash
1: OSLP and also don't forget to go to our website. Yes, we have a website. Yeah, It's we ourslavelifepodcast.com We have merch. We mm-hmm. have all sorts of stuff over there Yeah, and it's constantly growing and changing so make sure to sign up for our mailing list because newsletters go out when new stuff goes out and yeah, we just... It's constantly changing and evolving. So check back often. All righty, guys. We love love you you guys. guys, And we'll see you
0: next time. time. Bye.
1: Hey, listeners, if you've enjoyed your time with us, please rate, review and subscribe on any platform that you get your podcasts. Also, check us out on Patreon.com forward slash oslp for exclusive content with your favorite girls ever yeah and also check out our youtube page subscribe hit that little bell so you get notified when
0: our new videos drop a week after they are released yeah and we would like to give a big thank you to Anne marie cruz for our logos eric vaughn with 17th street studios because he provides our music and our recording space thanks for listening to our sleeve live podcast where we are breaking that stigma one episode at a time